Hello and welcome to Core Truth, the podcast show, where we will discover the core truth that controls our experience of life. I'm your host, Mark Follett, and together with my friend, mentor, and author of the book, The Truth of Love and Fear, Rudy Eckhart, we will peel back the outer layers of consciousness in order to understand and realize the nature of our perceptions and the beliefs that control the experience of our lives. We will uncover the true nature of consciousness, what drives our personal actions, behavior, and feelings in life, and what really motivates mankind. So we welcome you to join us on a journey of self-discovery, self-realization, and self-awareness to give you a new insight into who you believe you are. This is Core Truth, where we discuss the philosophy of core belief therapy created by Rudy Eckhart. I'm your show host, Mark Follett, and today we're going to continue our discussion on victimhood, and we're going to talk about the characteristics of being a victim. How are you today, Rudy? I'm terrific, thank you. That's, yeah, that's feeling that's really great. well. Yeah, so we're going to continue our fascinating discussion on um, on victims today. It's, it was a quite a heavy topic, I think, and so we've broken it into a few different parts, and we, we spoke on our first episode last time about um, just defining who, what, when, where, and why of, of victimhood, but I think we want to talk about the characteristics now of someone that's that's in victimhood. And, and one of the things is that if you talk to someone, they'll say, things things happen to me or other people cause things in my life, other people do things to me. Um, it seems to be a common way of, of talking. And to me, that's kind of the basic of of victimhood is that the things happen to you and you don't feel like you, that the, the implied part of that is, and I don't have any control over them and I'm not the cause of them, which is yeah. the opposite to creating your own reality really, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. So victims are always people that have things happen to them. Um, we can't talk about this without talking about guilt uh, and the transfer of responsibility, um, which happens then in your childhood. Because the origin for all of these characteristics are in childhood. And so we come back for a little while anyway. We need to say some more about that childhood experience because we went into why one would one child would adopt aggressive behavior and the other one passive behaviors and the reasons for it. Um, within all of this is the if you have parents who are victims and do not take therefore responsibility for their lives, then somebody has to. And that means that the responsibility for how the parents feels falls on the children. And so the children then learn to feel guilty and and, uh, learn that they are responsible for how other people feel. At the same time, they feel powerless um, to change that. So they would feel like it's it's a real burden for them and they can't really cope with it. So they're trying to avoid... Well, no, they actually, the guilt, the guilt, what the guilt does is something like this, is that the guilt makes them then feel that forces outside of them um, create guilt inside of them and so that they're responsible for how other people feel. So then they... Um, think and take out of that that all the actions and choices and behavior cause an effect outside of them so they don't engage in any actions and behavior which is then complemented by the fact that the parent uh, through their behavior 
indicates to them what to be afraid of from very early life. So um, to put it in a simplistic way, imagine that a mother is walking around in her lounge room with her child on her in her arms, right? And quickly a storm brews and this storm becomes a lightning and thundering storm. And the mother is frightened of lightning and thunder and then panics and gets away from the window and hides in a corner, let's say, to not be anywhere near the windows where the lightning it seems to be closer. And the fear that she feels in that moment for lightning and storms is um, sensed by the child who then may well develop a fear of lightning and storms <clears throat> without ever being totally aware where that fear comes from. So it's like an association that they, because it would happen over every time there was a storm, say, and there'd be an association then. With that fear. With that fear, with that event. Yeah, because there's something to fear, even mm -hmm. though there was nothing to fear. Yes. Yeah, the lightning, being inside the house, the lightning is not going to do anything. It's implied. The thunder is just a noise. It's right? implied through the parents' behaviour. It's implied through the parents' behaviour. Something, that something to, to fear. fear. Right. So now you, you take that particular scenario and then talk about the parents' fear of confrontation, the parents' fear of anybody being angry with them, the parents' fear of aggression, the parents' fear of authority, the parents' fear of having to deal with conflict, the parents' fear of responsibility. So all these elements are being played out by the parent and the child is exposed to it and begins to believe that all these outside experiences are a threat in some form, something to fear. So you're saying that in a similar situation, if that same mother with that same child was, um, in, was I mean, having interactions with people where the, the woman felt confronted because she didn't want to upset people, didn't want to make them angry, yeah. and the child sensed that there was something to fear in that. It's it. There's an association then created with, yeah, with the same way that there is with the lightning and in, and always right. children just pick up on it mm. and make assumptions. Mm -hmm. mm. You know, they make assumptions that there's something to fear, and so they hold that assumption because instinctively it wants to keep itself safe. Mm -hmm. Right? It it is aware of its own survival, it just doesn't know when it comes into the world generally what to fear. It knows, it has a sense of it on a physical level, but on an emotional level, those um, <clears throat> those particular qualities are not so clear, particularly when it depends on the mother and the father to feel and experience love, acceptance and trust on an unconditional level, and when that experience doesn't happen because the parents are constantly living in fear. They're even living in the fear of their own child because if they, with all their fears, are also afraid of change, anything different, any responsibility they have to cope with, then that is exactly all the elements that a child brings into the world just by being who it is. So then the child is experienced by um, experiences from its parents that its life, its presence, its behavior, its self-expression is a burden to the parent and is kind of feared by them or seen as an issue by them and therefore feared, the child will subconsciously start suppressing its real nature, its authentic needs and expectations, its spontaneous behavior, its, its interests and fascinations, if you like, if they should challenge the parent, right? Uh, 
and try and be what the parent wants it to be and needs it to be, which means then that the child will have to share all the parent's fears and insecurities because that would put it in alignment psychologically with the parent in order to have a relationship with the parent, in order to be taken care of, in order to be acceptable. Mm -hmm. And so the child subconsciously starts rejecting the true nature of its own being, its own personal power, because whenever it exercises power, right, it's not being redirected, if you like, or managed or um, um, shaped, if you like, to be positive for the child. It is just taken to be something to reject and to block and to fear. And so the child then does that internally. So the sense of powerlessness that the child experiences to, to be in the world comes from not knowing who to be, how to be, and how to express itself due to the fact that the parents' um, fears and insecurities creates a whole number of conditions that the child has to uh, um, conform to in order to be acceptable to the parent. Mm. And so therefore the child then... Um, has to suppress its instinctive, natural, innate nature, which is its authentic self, in order to become what the parent wants it to be. And that means the adaptation of all their fears and insecurities, and then doing with that, as I discussed earlier, in a passive or aggressive way, in order to survive. So now you're talking about they have to then come up with these strategies that we talked about in the last episode. Well, yeah, the strategies of avoidance or strategies of control. Mm -hmm. And so... And so, sorry, how does, the, how does the guilt side play into that then? Well, the guilt is the responsibility because the parent, by not accepting the child's um, behaviour as for being what it really is, and instead dis presenting itself as being the victim of that behaviour creates guilt in the child so and makes the child responsible for how that parent feels, for it, for the parent's stress and anxiety. The child feels guilty because um, it's confronting the, the, the parent and making the parent feel like a victim. No, the, the child is not confronting anything. But by its being. The child is just being. Yeah, but it feels that it is... It is too, not confronting. Too, no, no, no. Too no. confronting to the parent? No. Well, no, it feels... It feels... It's... It, it, it displays a certain behavior in response to what it naturally desires and wants. Mm. It is not strategic to begin with. No. And that behavior is an issue for the parent who has all these fears and insecurities. So the parent's reaction is then linked by the child to its behavior and then thinks, oh, that behavior gets me that response. So if I want to not give my mother or not have my mother behave that way towards me, right, then I need to change my behavior and suppress the behavior that causes that response. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, it accepts responsibility and accepts the guilt for how the parent's reaction and responses and feelings are. So, so this is so, the, this so is there's the, no deliberate process by the child. No, no, I understand that. Yeah. But it's a reaction to the parents. It's a reaction to something. So the acceptance of responsibility of, for how another person feels, which is the mother in this case, becomes the guilt it feels if it upsets somebody later in life. So it's like that we, we did an episode quite some time ago on offendability and the fact that you, you feel like you've got the, uh, 
you feel guilty for how you affect other people negatively um, and you offend other people, right? It's, it's a very early form of that. And it sounds to me like that, what you're talking about here is the seeds where victimhood grows from. Yeah, exactly. Because in the case of the father, that may be an angry reaction, mm-hmm. not a victim reaction the mother gives. Mm-hmm. See, the father may have may display anger and, and um, be critical and judgmental and blame and name, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the child for not behaving the way the father expects it to. And then the child becomes fearful of aggression, fearful of, com- of aggressive confrontation, mm-hmm. and maybe seeks to be compliant and submissive in order to please the father, mm-hmm. or becomes a belligerent, disagreeable, confronting child in the later years uh, in order to um, preserve, if you like, a sense of power and a sense of control by being contradictory by being stubborn, by being oppositional, if you like, <laughs> yeah, to, to anything. They have, they have um, medical disorders for all these things. Oh, yeah, yeah, they have names for o- everything. Oppositional defiance disorder and things. I know. I uh, know. There's just, labels. Just, just the absence of love, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but how do you, how do you go uh, when you're dealing with people, um, when, you, when, you, when you're running sessions with people, and I imagine that um, – they're probably into, and this is what something you've explained to me before. They're into you know, telling you stories about things that have happened to them in their life. I mean, how do you, when someone says, "Oh, someone ran into me at an intersection and I've now hurt my back," I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you explain to someone that it's still part of creating their own reality in the fact that they, if they're a part of an event, they're a co-creator of that event, and that they're not they can't, the being becoming a victim of something basically is a dead end. When you blame someone else and, be, and make yourself the victim, it becomes a dead end. So someone says, oh, a car ran into me and now I've got a sore back and I'm a victim of that sore back. Well, yeah, so well, you know, I don't want to go into a car accident because there's a few elements that are quite complicated to explain, <laughs> so we won't go there. Um, um, I, I've been in a car accident myself and I can talk about that one day, but... But I rather talk about what people, what basically people come in for when when they start talking about their issues, is yes, what happened to me or how others behaved in their life, and they are the victims of that behavior. So we talk about failed relationships. We talk about um, the the experiences they have at work. Um, we talk about even um, being the victim of certain habits like drinking, drug taking, mm. um, conflict and anger, right? Those are the things that people come So they come in with stories and it's usually, I mean, how else do you communicate a problem, right? So people come in with stories that they tell which then exemplify any of these elements, right? Uh, how they got angry, why they got angry, how they don't like being angry, um, how, um, how they, their relationships are failing. And usually the story is a lot about the other party, how they behaved, how they acted. And when you ask them a question, the question is, we used to ask a question which should be a, a reply to by um, how they felt or how they thought, they immediately go in what the other party did. Mm. So 
it's very interesting that, that, that people find it really hard to talk about themselves in situations or circumstances or events in which um, they feel something was done to them mm. because they're very clear about what somebody else did but not so clear about their own thought processes, feelings and emotions, reactions and responses. So it's, it, it is sometimes just a trial to get them to start a sentence with uh, because I am or uh, I felt that right, that I almost have to start the sentence for them in order for them to actually um, continue the sentence from an I am or I did or I felt perspective. It's, it's so pervasive, I think, that we almost don't, we don't use our memory in that way. I don't, I don't think people keep a conscious memory of their thoughts and, and the way that they perceive the situation. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't think you should think of it that way. I don't think you should think of it that people don't, they actually do have a memory. No, I mean, they don't, just, they don't kind of hold and question that part of, they almost just kind of forget that part of their experience almost. Well, they put it aside because yeah. they see it as irrelevant. Mm. Because the only thing, look, a victim is somebody who perceives the world to be the aggressor, right? So that means that others, the world, are always responsible for how they feel and for the experience they have. So it is then logical that you focus on what you fear, which is then the outside, the other person in this case. And so when you focus on the other person, you're totally aware of what they do. Mm. But you don't, you see your own responses as being a logical consequence. What else could I do? Mm. Do, do you understand? So it's, it's a lot about proof of, of victimhood as well, isn't it? That people want to, or not necessarily want to, but subconsciously because of their fears they then find proof that proves back to them that they are a victim of other people. Because they don't see themselves in the process and they only look outside of themselves. Now what happens outside from the outside to them, if you like, mm. that is the evidence that they are the victim. Mm. You know, and that, that means that somebody did something that they responded to, but they're not responsible for the response because somebody did it to them and therefore their, their response aggressive or passive, was totally justified. Mm. Mm. It's, a, it's an interesting topic, isn't it? That well, it's, it's, it's interesting because uh, we do this in such a subconscious and unthinking way and without any premeditation because mm. it comes from such a deep and con um, affirmed, if I like, if you like uh, the expression, in an affirmed way because it's like we, we can't even contemplate that it could be different than the way we're actually thinking and experiencing it because we have all the evidence that it's true. And I, I you know, you talked about justification. The, the evidence that we accept as true is what we feel and what we see, right? And we also take evidence out of the behavior out of from others, right? And then our own behavior is then a logical, justified consequence. What we do not recognize and appreciate that what we see is not necessarily the truth. And what we feel is not necessarily real. Or the feeling is real. I mean, you're really angry or you're really <laughs> pissed off or you really um, feel powerless or you really feel fearful mm. and afraid or you really feel guilty. 
the, the feeling is real in the sense that you feel it. But the origin for the feeling, the cause for the feeling, that's where the problem lies because that's an illusion. We've talked before about the lenses, the, the lenses to reality of, of your fear. Yeah, fear well, creating a lens to exactly. how you see things and how you perceive things, um, how you feel about things. The fear creates like a lens where you don't necessarily, where a lot of the perceptions that you have are lies, essentially. Well, they're basically lies because... Fear-based. It is determined by belief systems that you hold which don't, don't stand up to examination as being truthful. Mm. And because any fear-based belief um, that is emotionally based, so in other words, um, I mean, if you step out of an aeroplane and it's off the ground, like it's in the air, you're likely to die when you hit the ground. I mean, that is not... You don't even have to take that as a fear. It's just a fact, <laughs> okay? And even if you drop from a three-story building, you're more likely to get killed than survive it. That is a fact. And so it is makes sense to fear stepping off a three-story building into space. Um, but emotional fears are very different. They have a very different flavor and a very different context and a very different meaning in our life. Because if you fear confronting somebody, well, what, what do you think would happen? You're going to die. You know, <laughs> you're going to get broken somewhere. It's just not true. But the feelings you will have because of the beliefs that you hold around confrontation are based in fear. The feelings that will flow from that and the interpretation, in other words, what you see, hear and feel, right, will, will all be determined by your fear-based beliefs and are essentially real in their experience but not real in fact. Mm. You know, because... because you have a fear that has no foundation. I mean, if you if you go to bed, and I've given this example before, and you have a horrible dream, and you wake up in a sweat, and you wake up shocked, and your heart beating at a thousand miles an hour, right? Uh, you didn't actually physically experience that, but you experienced it on an emotional level, and it was real. And I'm I'm not taking the reality of the dream away. I'm just telling you, it was a dream. We find it easier to dismiss that as being, oh, it was just a dream, but we don't seem to be able to do the same thing when it's, oh, it's just a fear. Well, it's interesting because because um, whether you believe or not believe in hypnosis or not, it works, right, in the sense that people can be hypnotized. Uh, people can be made to believe things. Um, advertising is a very powerful tool <laughs> which creates a semi-hypnotic, if you like, idea about things. Um, you know, politicians... Um, promoting their party do something very similar, try to create a certain um, uh, understanding about what's going on, which may not be necessarily based in truth, but if they can bend your mind and make you believe it, then maybe their party will get in. So it's like applied a, everywhere. Like a marketing perception type. Marketing, it's all the same stuff, mm -hmm. right? Um, so um, beliefs... Um, um, well, how we hold them to be true uh, depends on under what circumstances those beliefs were created. So once you live in fear, you also become susceptible to other fears, additional fears, more fears. You will, you will find more and more reasons to justify your fears and build on fear to create more elements to fear. Um, 
So, so in that way, victimhood can sort of become a spiral where you just end up further away from having any control over your own life. Yeah, a bit like a painter painting himself into a corner mm. on, when he's painting the floor, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I better not do this. I better not go there. I better not associate with him. I better not take that job. And eventually you have no life. Yeah, life becomes a tiny, tiny spot on the mm-hmm. map mm-hmm. where you can't move from. Metaphorically, I've seen that happen too with uh, from a food perspective where you, you say, well, I, I better avoid those foods and I better avoid those foods and I better avoid those and, and even like a lot of natural, like I don't, I'm not a processed food person but and I'm into natural food, but we, we got to a point in our family where we were even like things like tomatoes and like, you know, things that were obviously natural food, still we became fearful of them, I suppose, being an influence over our lives physically. And I think this is a metaphor for what you're talking about. You can end up painting yourself into a corner because you try and you try and avoid something for because it might cause something. Yeah, I'm going to avoid. I even heard, you know, dark greens such as kale. If you have too much of it, it's goitrogenic. It you know causes issues with your thyroid and whatever. So you have to avoid too much of that, and you have to avoid too much of this. And the more scientific research you read, you go, well, mm. there's actually nothing that's safe for me to eat anymore. Yeah. You kind of yeah. paint yourself into a psychological corner. It's you know? like and it's like people are fearful of being overweight, and then any food they put in their mouth will put on weight, and then they get, you know, um, they either become anorexic or become binge eaters. Mm. You know, they either <clears throat> they either sooner or later give in and then overdo it and uh, have the negative consequences of that, or they fear that any food they put in their, in their mouth will have a negative consequence and make them fat, and so therefore they don't eat art and hardly anything at all. Uh, are, these, are these people who are, are victims as well? Who would they be blaming? There's, well, they're the victims of food, you victims know, and food. the victims of their self-image and the victim of, of the media portraying women as, you know, whatever, you know, models, you know. So they're the victims of... of um, of um, advertising, of 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 um, the fashion industry. So, you know, you can be a victim of anything you like, mm-hmm. right? Um, it is it is um, basically you're the victim of your own lack of self esteem. You know, this this is what it comes down to, and you're allowing outside forces to define who you are and what you should look like. When we talked about um, domestic violence some time ago, and obviously that's a very specific type of um, victim and aggressor scenario, we talked about obviously people who had similar victimhood banding together and basically joining a, a group of victims that that they group themselves together so they can talk to other people about their victimhood. Um, well, but the problem with that is that the way I see it is you're not you're not taking any control of your life and it becomes a dead end for learning as we talked about in the... In the previous episode, yeah, victims. You know, victims because there's so many different kinds of victims. Um, depending on what you're the victim of, you tend to f- to find your own group of people who will share that idea of victimhood with you, um, and they will be your friends, or they will be, you know, part of a, something that you're a, a part of. You'll be attracted to it, as they will be attracted to you, and that's that's just a common factor, like in life that um, uh, we will share our life with people who share the same worldview, as I put it before. But of course, that include, that, that part of that is victimhood. 
Um, if that's your worldview, then that's... Because, because any fear that you have makes you a victim. So we talk about fear, we talk about victimhood. You can't separate the two. Mm. You can't be afraid um, and, and not be a victim of something because it, by definition, uh, all fear is based in powerlessness and all powerlessness makes you subject to the environment. And so um, the environment being the world or other people. So you, by definition, if you have a fear, you're a victim. And since all of us carry fear of some kind, we're all victims of sorts, as I said before. So obviously the degree of victimhood depends on how in much control it has over your life. Mm. I think we've, you've talked before about uh, the difference between having fears and living in fear. And I imagine it's probably a similar a conversation about victimhood. You, you, you feel like you can be a victim of some things and associate them as, oh, that's something I need to work on and grow in my life rather than just living in victimhood where you blame everyone and every yeah. for, for the fact that you have no control over your life. Yeah, but I think so. Once we start applying the definition of victimhood, we're already in a pretty... Once you feel a victim in something, then, then in that particular area of your life, you are pretty powerless. Mm. And it's hard to live life um, uh, with a, an area of, uh, how could you say it, of self-expression that makes you a victim. Mm. Uh, because life itself, as a process, is nothing but you experiencing yourself through the experiences that you create and you call life. So in other words, life is nothing but you or your self-expression into this reality where you have experiences which actually show you up, tell you who you are. So if you experience life uh, as an individual who sees themselves as a victim of that life, then you should pull the alarm cord and say, hang on a moment, what am I doing to myself? Mm. Right? Instead of continuing to engage in that process and not addressing it because the see the problem is this right and this is a problem that <clears throat> we didn't make notes about but is that in in the world of victims right um when the victims victimhood becomes extreme that there is an expectation in passive victims to be taken care of and then there's the other world of victims, right, where they feel that they will be uh, seen as um, strong, powerful, and in control if they take care of those victims, right? So we've got that scenario. There's a third group who gravitates towards self-empowerment, self-responsibility, self-creating, all right? And take responsibility for their life. So there, so there's sort of the three main groups in life. Okay, I'll just bring this out. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So to to the third group who are self-responsible, they can see both of these other groups and see their issues of dysfunctionality. But the other two groups do not see themselves and do not recognize that they are in this state because they blame each other, mm. right? And so, unfortunately, the fear-based groups are the largest mm. and the most intense. And from a, from a world perspective or 
Yeah, it, it, it's, this is what dominates at the moment in our world. Hence, we have the world that we have right now based on, on this principle that, that is really at the core of humanity at this point in time, and which is the part we need to transition out of when people start talking about world transformation, uh, transforming humanity from, from conflict to bliss, you know, from fear into unconditional love. Mm. Uh, so when, when we're talking about that, we're talking about predominantly about these two groups, which are the aggressive victims and the passive victims who are currently dominating the world. You could almost simplify it further, I think, and say you've got a group that are people who have an awareness that they are the creators of their own experience and then the passive and the aggressive victims who don't have that understanding. It's almost just two, two groups, isn't it, really? Yeah, Cause yeah you, the, you could the, say it that way. The, yeah. the, 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 the different victims are really just two sides of the same coin there, yeah. aren't they? Look, and, and that's notwithstanding the fact that all of, all of the three groups need to change. Yeah. Because whatever level of awareness that you do have and whatever awareness you have of all of this, um, you're still part of this world. And uh, if you think you've reached unconditionality, it's very likely that you haven't. Mm. And so it's something to work on for everybody. It's, it's just redefining who is furthest away from that outcome and who is aware of what the potential of the outcome is and is actually seeking to get there because the victim groups whether passive or aggressive definitely haven't got their eye on the ball so to speak mm. you know they 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 are definitely not um uh focused on this area of beingness right where they have the sense of that they need to evolve their consciousness to a place where they exist without fear. At least the people that are aware of fear and know that they have to transcend it, even though they may not have transcended it, their awareness at least puts them in a place where they are conscious of how they are in life and what direction they need to take. I think that the key aspect of that really, um, in, in my opinion there, the, the first group, as you said, the ones that, have an understanding and awareness that they create their own experience. If they have a negative experience, it doesn't become a dead end because they realize that they're the creator of it and therefore they're empowered to do something to overcome it that. Becomes it becomes a learning experience. It becomes a learning fact. experience. Yeah. And then, but if you're, in, if you're in victimhood, you go straight to blaming someone else. Yeah, you become you, the victim of you it. You become the victim of it. You put your power outside of yourself and it mm. becomes a dead end to growth. Yeah. Because you, you don't feel like you have any control, so there's nothing you can do. There's nothing well, I can do about there's it. There's only nothing, there's either nothing you can do, or there is, yeah, no, there is. The, the fact that there's nothing you can do confirms that because you have taken that the other person has done all the doing. So, because you're the victim, you're naturally not responsible. The lack of responsibility takes away from you the, um, um, the notion that you have to do something to change all this. Um, look, the, the, the way to understand victimhood, not only in other people, but also within yourself, right, is to, is to look at your own behavior and the way you use dialogue and words, the way you react to things, the way you respond to things, the way you um, engage and resolve situations, um, if a lot of your behavior is centered around avoidance, then you're definitely a victim. 
if you uh, make other people responsible for what happens to you, there's definitely a victimhood in you. If you have a tendency to blame or justify your own actions and choices uh, without looking within yourself and taking stock of what you contributed to a situation, then you're probably a victim. Mm. And so all of this self-reflection is necessary for you to become aware. You cannot be aware without self-reflection. You, you will only change your life if you change yourself. And so victim, changing from a victim into a creator, right, does not require you to take on strategies. <laughs> It is not something you can learn to do because it's not a doing thing. I can hear our listeners saying, what do I need to do, Rudy? Tell yeah, me exactly. what I need to do. <laughs> it is not a doing process. Mm. Because since we're all going to be different creators, because we're all different people, we all have a different consciousness, we all have unique and different qualities to contribute, right? There is no specific doing way that you can be the creator of your own reality or your own life and fulfill your potential. So if you want to overcome victimhood, first of all, you need to become self-reflective and look at what, first of all, look at what you do, how you act and behave and how you feel and what your perception is and question it. And, and look, at it, what, look at the experiences in your life and, and start reflecting well, on well, how you were a, were a part of those. Well, first of all, you need to, before you even go there, you need to recognise that there is fear involved and what kind of fear that is. Because once you understand that there is a fear and an insecurity attached to your behavior, right, then you can start looking where that fear came from. Because if you know that fear is guilt or that fear is blame or that fear is I cannot cope or that fear is I'm not enough or that fear is embarrassment and shame or that fear is um, powerlessness and helplessness or that fear is um, feeling insecure, indecisive, uh, fear of making the wrong decision and choices, fear of criticism and judgment, whatever that fear may be, then you can start looking in your history and say, where did I experience that first? How did I, you know, how did I come to be fearful of criticism? Or why am I so critical of myself? Mm, mm. Why am I critical of others? You know? Um, why do I fear certain circumstances and situations? And what does that fear look like? And where did that fear come from? You know, what does it reflect in myself in terms of my childhood and in terms of my childhood experiences? Once you start doing that, you're going to get closer and closer to a solution. Because ultimately, overcoming vic victimhood, and we're going to go deeper into that as well, is about releasing the fears that create it. It's not about so much about becoming something, because without fear you will automatically become something else. Become who you are. Well, do your authentic self your authentic is always self. a part of you. Mm. It it never it has never left you. It is wherever you go. Your authentic self is not lost or missing. Okay. The only place you will ever find it is within yourself, and so. That's where you need to be looking. But it's not like you're going to be finding something that you already know what it looks like. That is the problem. The problem is that your fears and insecurities that you picked up in childhood, all the fear-based beliefs that you hold on to, 
right, which you believed you were necessary for your survival, right, those fears overlay, if you like, your authentic self. And the truth is, if you really want to know, that you actually live in fear of your authentic self because your parents couldn't cope with it. So because your parents couldn't cope with your authentic self, you think it's something to fear to give expression to because it will lead to criticism, judgment, rejection, guilt, or other negative emotions. Mm. And so you actively actually suppress your own authentic and unique and different self. You know, even your power, just your the power of your life force can be too much for your parents mm -hmm. and you can be actively suppressing the power of your life force for fear that other people can't cope with you, that you're just too much, right? And, and this is also quite prevalent and it's quite often an aspect that is there in addition to all of your other fears. So there's lots for you to learn about you, right? And the world, the experiences that you have that you believe you are the victim of, are actually just mirrors of you, are mirrors of your powerlessness, of your fears and insecurities. But because you blame, you don't see it as a mirror. You see them as being responsible and the cause, rather than seeing yourself as the originator of this situation. Mm. You may well think that if I change, then how is that going to affect these people, because they're still going to be the same. <laughs> they're going to be the same as they were when I experienced them, when I believed I was the victim. Mm. Now I'm no longer the victim, right? These people, people are not going to change. The truth is they are. Mm. Not necessarily within themselves, but they will change their behavior towards you. They will not treat you the same way mm -hmm. as they did. When you were a powerless person, they could kick you. And they know that you would never, ever respond because they felt safe to do so. Mm -hmm. But if you're an empowered person, they take a risk. And the risk is that you would react and respond in a way that they won't like. Mm. And they cannot cope with because they are not truly powerful people. And so in response to true power, we all naturally um, take respect of it and recognize it, mm. right? And so we... We, we actually, when we, when we get rid of fear, and it's maybe odd sounding a bit, but we actually, for the first time, start to respect who we are. By living, loving ourselves, by accepting ourselves, by trusting in ourselves, by believing in ourselves, it is like having respect for how you were created and having respect and, and, and recognizing that it is a special thing to be. And being special and having respect for what that is and giving expression to it um, and maybe trusting in a certain reverence, if you like, for your own being and your own consciousness because of its spiritual nature, right? That is part of empowerment. That's part of being a powerful person in the world. It's part of the recognition of your spiritual beingness. Because I, I, I've coined this phrase and that is there's physical reality and their spiritual reality. And the word reality doesn't mean physical in this case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We, 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 the reality that we believe 
is physical, like we, we know to be physical reality because we feel ourselves as physical beings in a physical reality, has to be in harmony with the nature of our spiritual reality in order for both to become one thing and one experience. As soon as spiritual reality and physical reality are out of sync with each other, because of fear, right, we have a difference which is felt as pain, suffering, insecurity, guilt, overwhelm, powerlessness, helplessness, etc., etc., etc. So if you're wondering where these emotions come from, these emotions that we feel as victims, if you like, are like alarm bells. It should be telling you that your spiritual beingness, the nature of your spirit, is out of sync with your reality experience and that you are the creator of this and that you need to look at the experience itself in order to recognize who you are in that moment, what your fears are, if you like, what your insecurities are, what you are expressing, what energy that you put behind it, which is generally fear, a certain type of fear. And you need to recognize that fear and understand that fear uh, and, and look internally for its origin in order for you to release it so that you can be that person that is in harmony with physical reality because you're in harmony within your spiritual reality. Because this is how it works. Mm. There's no other way of, how can I say that, of, um, of giving an explanation to this. So, so the way to do that is to remove those lenses of fear that create a disharmony between the, the physical and the spiritual. Yeah, mm. because you're, the physical reali- all that physical reality is, is a reflection of us. So in a sense, even though the trees have their own sense of beingness, the insects do, the microbes do, you know. Everything has its own sense of being, right? It exists in, 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 in a type of harmonious cooperation in which the needs of every living thing, of every conscious thing, is addressed. And so one thing cannot be a negative without affecting all other aspects in a negative way, all other consciousness in a negative way. So the harmony that we want to experience in life has to come from within us. There's no other place to start. Because when we are in harmony with ourselves, we create a harmonious world. And when we create a harmonious world, we have harmonious experiences. And when we have harmonious experiences, we, we can be the creators that we're meant to be. Because creativity does not stop when fear has gone. Mm. When fear has gone, creativity starts. And there's no boundaries, it can just explain. There's no boundaries to mm. our growth. Mm. There are no boundaries to our spiritual beingness. Mm. There's even not any real boundaries in physical beingness. <laughs> you know, but the physical beingness boundaries are created by a spiritual um, not so much the restrictions of spirit itself, but the restrictions that we put on our own spiritual expression through our mind and what we hold in our mind. Mm. Yeah? And so this is somewhat a bigger picture, but I think it's I, worth it understanding in the context of what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I think it's fantastic that you've been able to take us from somewhere where we're talking about victimhood to explaining 
a path, a yellow brick road towards getting out of victimhood. And I think what we're going to do on our on our next episode is probably talk about the wider implications of victimhood in the world sense. So we'll probably talk about the way that victimhood scales up to um, society and we, things yeah. like that. But I also want to talk about how we maybe start to overcome this and start yeah. to recognize this more deeply, yeah. right? Because, so because I think I'd like to yeah. give everybody some guidelines, if you want to call them that, um, that they can use to start addressing mm-hmm. these elements within themselves. Mm-hmm. Because um, we don't need victimhood in the world. We don't need to live with fear. There's no pro forma. There's no expectation. There's no anything that tells you that you must live in fear. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Mm, mm. And so, yeah, I look forward to going to number three on victims, <laughs> right? Um, we thought we were only going to do two podcasts on it, but it looks like it's going to be three. I, I think uh, I think we should we should do one uh, definitely on uh, on the positive aspects, but also those worldviews as you talked about. So thank you again very much for your time, Rudy, and your, and your knowledge and wisdom. It's my pleasure. I look forward to uh, continuing the conversation. All right, and we'll see everybody next time.